fans, and welcome in. This is the SDFE, your favorite podcast, the Second Day Film Podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight on this Wednesday, the, what is it, the 18th of April already? Fine Still by. snowing in uh, Michigan, of course. Uh, Evan Dean, your host here, joined, as always, on episode number seven by Brandon Champion Champ. How you doing on this Wednesday? I'm doing good, man. I'm feeling good. Like you said, still snow on the ground here in Michigan, so I'm a little disappointed by that. I'm trying to get out and play some golf. Yeah, fortunately, uh, the weather doesn't play any factor in going to see movies, so we're still doing our thing. The popcorn correspondent to my right, how you doing, Sam? Hey, doing good, Dean. I'm a champ there, though. Let's get golf, baby. Yeah, you guys don't want to see me golf. That's a whole other story. <laughs> uh, there's uh, a whole lot coming up on today's show, and uh, you know maybe a hashtag for champ, hashtag no genre bias. We're going with our first kind of horror-themed pod. We've got our power rankings, our top three horror films from 1990 or later. We've got popcorn problems after that, and we're talking about your favorite food at the theater. I mean, the day of just popcorn and pop is so long gone, so we want to talk about... Uh, what our favorite treats are. And then also, we're going to review a horror film, a hit horror film that just came out about a week and a half ago called A Quiet Place. Of course, before we jump in here, there are a ton of ways to connect with us. We want to grow our audience, and we want you to be an engaged audience. We want to talk with you, hear from you uh, on Facebook, Twitter. We've got a whole bunch of ways, right, Champ? Yeah, the main way that we're, at least we've been getting uh, the most uh, feedback is on Facebook, uh, you can like us at the Second Day Film Podcast. And if you have been on there and you have been enjoying it, feel free to invite some of your friends or other movie uh, likers that you uh, know and enjoy talking to about it. Uh, we're on Twitter at Second Day Film. That's all written out. Uh, you can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. We're on SoundCloud. You can search us there at the Second Day Film Podcast. Also, iTunes at the Second Day Film Podcast. We would love if you'd leave us a rating, a review, and uh, subscribe there. Um, and also, our website is www.secondayfilm.com. And I think the last thing, the website, that's the best way, that or iTunes, to go back and rewatch or rather re-listen to old pods. We've got all of them there. Well, we were on number seven, so we've got six films we've already reviewed, a ton of great content. Uh, so you can go back and you can listen to any of our previous pods anytime you want. They're right there for you. All right, guys, so we're going to jump in now, and we're going to start with power rankings. Today we're talking about horror films from the year 1990 on. Uh, I think with the horror genre, there are some total classics. You've got The Exorcist, you've got The Shining, you've got Psycho, Halloween. All of those were pre-1990. We wanted to kind of not include those, because those are pretty easy picks. They're already basically on the uh, so-called Mount Rushmore of exactly. horror films. Um, and even if you haven't really seen them, or you maybe don't like them as much as some people say, uh, hard to leave those movies off, because they're just right. so iconic within the genre. They are, and it's hard for films to become, especially horror films, to become critically acclaimed. Those are. Uh, so we're doing 1990 After, and uh, I'm going to throw it right to you, Sam. We're going to start with your third favorite horror film from 1990 or later? Uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> I can't say it'd be my favorite scenes as I'm not like a... Horror films just aren't for me, you know, unless I get forced into watching them, per se. Um, <laughs> so my third I'd have to come up with was, would be The Ring. Um, I did... I did... I guess I liked the storyline behind The Ring. Um, I thought it was, you know, catchy, fun. It gave you the jumps, you know, here and there. And uh, 
made me afraid to shower and wash my hair. So, I mean, I think it did its job when it came to, like, you know, scaring me. But it also did come out when I was younger, too. Um, I think I would have a different perspective on the film if I watched it now. Um, but long story short, I'd have to say The Ring um, as my number three. How about you? Did The Ring make the cut for you? Nope, not on my list. It is on my list. It's actually number two. I watched oh, okay. it as a kid. It was I was in seventh grade when it came out, and I've also watched it a couple times since I've been, you know, since I'm since I'm older. Uh, but this is directed by Gore Verbinski, uh, starring Naomi Watts. This is based on a, a Japanese novel, of course, that was made into a Japanese film. And you guys know the story. You watch the film. Uh, you watch the tape. Yep. You get a call. Seven days. You have seven days until you die. What I thought this film did best, I think it did best what other films after it tried to accomplish, films like The Grudge or Shudder. Yeah. Uh, I think that what it did is it focused almost um, exclusively on you know, grim, disturbing imagery. There was almost no blood, no guts, no gore, but it, it had this kind of unique, uneasy style to it uh, between a, a little girl who never sleeps to a well in the middle of the woods. Um, if, I think what this film did is it found things that don't seem scary on their face, they don't seem creepy, and it found ways to make them very, very creepy. And I think the film itself, um, the, the Seven Days film itself, had a lot of disturbing imagery. And, you know, we were talking about this film a little bit earlier, and, and, and Champ even made the point, it doesn't strike you as that traditional horror film. And I think that's what's strong... Right. about this film I think it was very unique and when I think of the the horror films of the past 30 years The Ring sticks out in my mind yeah oh yeah I agree there I, and I forgot the tape you know with the the static TV I think it kind of cross blended the grudge when I said the, sh the shower yeah. there when she reaches behind her head and feels the whatever in her hair um, but yeah, the the movie there, the static TV. I can I can always remember if it was ever static when I it was just click shut the TV off because you didn't know what was coming out of that thing. So Champ, how about you? What's number three on your list? Uh, my number three film, and I have a feeling it's going to appear on your list as well, Evan. And that's uh, Saw from two thousand four. Uh, this is uh, directed by James Wan. Uh, obviously, a, a shocking, shocking movie, and especially when it first came out, um, because I, I sort of feel like it it upped the ante when it sort of came to horror. I mean, we had obviously had horror films before, but I don't know if we had really seen movies that were in the mainstream that had this sort of, like, uh, torture porn, is what it's become known as in, in recent years. Um, and and I, I think, like, uh, you know, it really took it to the next level. But I know this is on your one of your favorite <laughs> movies ever. I've got a couple more points, but why don't, why don't you talk about and tell us why I Saw is such a great movie. Yeah, of course, uh, this is number one on my list. Oh, oh. It came out in 2004, starring Danny Glover and Carrie Elwes. So this was a short film that was made by an entirely unknown filmmaker in James Wan that was later developed into a feature-length film, which then led to six sequels, one reboot, and the most commercially successful horror franchise of the new millennium. That's the power of Saw, guys. Now, did I like all the sequels or the reboot? Most of them, no, I didn't. I thought that the story became insanely convoluted. The plot holes, even in the first film, which is the best one, are a major knock. But I think the concept here was unique. And what I find with my films on the list are that they were unique horror films. You have this concept that people themselves are put in this position where they essentially are forced to either harm themselves or torture themselves to avoid death. 
At the time that came out, that was such a unique concept. Yeah. Um, you didn't have a, a, a murderer running around stabbing people. You didn't have a monster attacking people. You've had people themselves having to do these things to their body. And it was quite terrifying. But, uh, and Jigsaw's words himself, live or die, make your choice. Well, and wasn't it because of um, like certain things they had done in their past in which he kind of like was ultimately God? Yeah, I mean, it had a lot to do with... And that's one of the becomes one of the biggest issues with the film later is the people who are chosen for these challenges are not deserving of it. But but that's a theme. Also, the theme is the power to live. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I saw this at, at, at the Cadillac Five on a midnight showing in tenth grade, and I can't say I've been that scared at a theater since then. Oh, and by the way, arguably the greatest horror movie twist of all time. Okay, maybe Psycho and Scream get that claim, but still, the twist, how unique this was, all of that, the grisly, grisly, as you said it, Champ, kind of created the torture porn genre, which now is totally tired, but when this came out, it was the first one. Yeah, I mean, like you said, a bunch of sequels, in my opinion, they pretty much got progressively worse Mm -hmm. as they started to come out, but yeah, when you're watching Saw, at least the first one, the mystery is entertaining. Yeah, You know, the, the way that the story sort of wraps up and ties together and every scene that you see in the movie is important, even the very first shot of the movie. Um, there's a lot of fun reveals throughout it. Um, and, of course, you were talking about the twist. The final sequence uh, is, is just mind-blowing, and you have that... Playing, and then, you know, we get it in... Game over. And yeah. Want to play? Want to play a game? Like yeah. stuff like that became. Oh, that guy's still creepy. Yeah, jigsaws want to play a game. You hear people say that all the time. That's culturally significant, and you know that's something I like to talk about. Is if a movie that came out a while ago is still relevant in the psyche of people, and obviously Saw and the Saw franchise, as you mentioned, quite successful. Even though the movies deteriorated as they went yeah. on, that original movie I think was was revolutionary within the genre. I agree. And also one thing to add too is it was almost the first, I think, to have these quick cut shot sequences yeah. where they speed up time and they cut from shot to shot really quickly. And um, I think it's the biggest horror franchise of the new millennium with maybe paranormal activity um, being up there behind it. It's it. kind of like the 2000s uh, Halloween or yeah. the 13th in a way. Yeah, I just think we, we need to throw some credit out to Donnie Wahlberg as well. It's one of my <laughs> favorite things about those. <laughs> just well, Mark Wahlberg's brother, you know, we gotta give him some yeah. love. He's he's trying to make yeah. it. He doesn't end up surviving that series. But uh, so you guys already ran through uh, my number two and number one, so I get to talk about my number three. And this one is not as critically acclaimed, or at least enjoyed among the horror lovers. And it's a 2008 film called The Strangers. Mm. This was directed by Brian Bertino, starring Scott Speedman and Liv Tyler. What was particularly impressive about this film to me is how effectively it used slow pace to build tension. The interactions between our main characters, those out to break into the house and kill them, um, you know, our killers are almost intentionally prolonging the time between when they come upon this house and decide they want to break in and kill the people inside uh, to when they actually start doing that. There's so much time that passes in the film. Perhaps others would see that deliberately drawn out style and not enjoy it, but I thought it did a really good job of building 
uh, suspense, uh, much like the featured review we'll get to later. Also, I thought the filmmakers did a fantastic job using camera shots to draw in the audience. There's one kind of iconic scene, and it's actually the poster of the film. You see Liv Tyler standing in like the living room kind of kitchen area, and then all of a sudden you see um, behind her one of their masked killers appear in the hallway and then just disappear. So you know that that person's there, but again, they're kind of deliberately drawing out their attack and prolonging when they actually uh, intend to kill the, the victims in this case. Also, a shot from inside the closet, really cool. I know these aren't brand new concepts, but I thought that the strangers deliberately slow pace and the, sh the camera shots were carried out really, really well. So that's number three on my list. That's yeah, that's one that would strike me too because that's only my biggest thing is having someone break into your house is one thing that I've always been afraid of. So to see that in a film, I haven't really watched the movie. Like I said, I'm not okay. a big horror, but just that concept that you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple concept, but I thought the way they did the film was, was great. Champ, is that? Uh, Strangers is not on my list. I've seen the movie. It's uh, It's creepy, definitely sort of plays on those fears of, you know, invading the security. You feel at home. The sequel, uh, Strangers Pray at Night, actually just came out this yeah. year. Have you checked that out yet? I have not. No, I, I know we put that on one of our polls for the SDFC, and uh, it did not generate one single vote. Uh, so we quickly skipped over that one. Okay. I'm not sure I expect a whole lot out of that, I'll be honest, but uh, who knows? It's it's. I think that's also a recurring theme in the horror genre, is sometimes you might get a good first movie, but then because of the success of that, you know, the filmmakers try and recapture it in a series of sequels, yeah. and oftentimes what we find out is it doesn't work as well. Absolutely. Um, a, a movie, you talked about the slow build, sort of suspense building style of The Strangers. My number two uses a similar tactic, and uh, that's The Witch from 2015. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is directed by Robert Eggers in his uh, directorial debut. This is actually the only feature-length film that he's even released to this point still. Uh, he has a movie coming out starring Roger Pattinson in 2019. Um, but this is a, a ridis ridiculously stylistic horror film. It's set in uh, 1630s New England. Um, and we sort of follow a Puritan family that has been exiled by the rest of the community. Um, this movie is terrifying. Um, you know, I think it might be like the first shot of the movie. Um, we see the family exiled and the camera just like lingers on a wood at the edge of this field. And this sort of shrieking, unsettling music like comes on the screen and just continues to get louder and louder for about a minute as the camera just zooms out over this forest. And Eggers is clearly trying to make us feel like dread and, and fear that the wood might contain inside it. Uh, and it works. Uh, shortly after that, uh, we see a, a horrific witch just come on screen right away, and she's literally crushing an infant, infant's body to make pulp so that she can fly. Um, from then on, it's a slow build throughout. Uh, it's literally terrifying. Um, the whole movie it feels so like raw and real. This is a movie called The Witch, so it obviously has super, supernatural elements, but it feels like something like people of this time out in the frontier could have experienced in, like, New England woods, you know. Uh, what happens throughout the movie is, like, thought-provoking. It actually has some interesting ideas to it, but it's so unsettling. Uh, this movie stuck with me a long time. Um, one note, it's it's a little bit hard to understand sometimes because the characters are speaking in, like, sort of authentic Old English biblical uh, dialect. Um, so I would recommend watching it with the subtitles on and also with a light on. Yeah, I have not seen The Witch. It's been in my Amazon Prime loaded. You know, it's been loaded in my Amazon Prime must-watch. 
but uh, I've not seen The Witch, so that couldn't even have cracked my list if if, if I liked it enough to do so. But I, and that's definitely on my list because I've heard it's unique, and I wonder too: is it also unique like The Ring in the sense that is there a whole lot of blood, guts, and gore? Uh, I wouldn't say there's blood, guts, and gore, but there is some uh, unsettling imagery. There is a little bit of that. But like I said, it doesn't feel like horror film gore. It feels like real-world gore, like you're on the farm with this family and yeah. you're watching something happen. That's a no from me. Just want to make that note. <laughs> Sam will not be seeing that film. <clears throat> that will be no. All right, so uh, Sam, right. let's get to you now. Uh, number two on your list. Um, Number two for me is kind of like if I'm going to watch a scary movie, I have to have it based on something. Um, I like the true story effect or, you know, based on a true story. It doesn't have to obviously be in line um, to a T, but mine would be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I remember watching the first... The of course, just to be clear, the reboot, because the first one was well before the ni- 1990. Correct, correct. Where they're listening to Sweet Home Alabama, cruising down in Texas there, and obviously something happens. they got to get gas, I believe. The car breaks down, etc. Um but I remember that after watching that movie, even when Sweet Home Alabama would come on the radio, I'd have to change it just because it just brought back Leatherface himself. And I in um it just kind of stuck with me like the idea that, you know, we have we're in northern Michigan. We have small towns everywhere. And this was just kind of like a small town where the family was all in on something where they didn't want anyone to, you know, penetrate their little way of living oh it's like an inbred hillbilly family yeah that just is really likes to you know prey on the the weak or the unsuspecting and it was just like it really tied to me just because of like him chasing you and he just grabs you and he was so much bigger than everyone else like you couldn't get away it had its flaws of the whole you know scary movie where why would you go left when you know he's left? Why don't you go right and run? Or why go back for someone you know is already gone? And he puts that dude up on that meat hook. Oh my goodness. Like, just like, oh. Yeah, there were some creepy things about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but you won't find any of the, you know, you know, slasher chasing the teenagers in any of my top horror films, um, save for my honorable mention, Scream. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that it's just kind of another, for me at least, it was just another run-of-the-mill horror. The original yeah. certainly was shocking. What they showed and some of the images from the original from, I think, 1974 was shocking. Right. I wasn't a huge fan of the reboot, but uh, we got to get to your number one, champ. Yep, my number one is from 2012. Uh, this is Sinister, directed by Scott Derrickson. Uh, Ethan Hawke is the lead in this movie. He plays a sort of washed-up crime writer who discovers a box of home movies uh, that are depicting uh, grisly murders that uh, may have taken place in his own house that he lives in now. Um, and it's in those home movies that provide the most terrifying scenes Absolutely. of this flick because they're uh, old school Super 8 movies like you'll hear at the beginning of uh, each of our podcasts, uh, I might add, the sort of sound of the projector playing. Um, but in each of these Super 8 movies is sort of de- depicting a sort of uh, home movie grisly scene and as you're watching these it's like you're Ethan Hawke in the movie it's on the screen you're watching this but you don't know what's gonna happen you just know something bad's gonna happen so the things sort of show up out of nowhere um, when the demon the main bad guy shows up he it's done in the creepiest way he just sort of like appears on the fringes of the screen in sort of very authentically weird ways um, I mean, there's a few, like, tropey jump scares that normally I dislike in movies, but because I was so freaked out by the atmosphere of the rest of the movie, they actually worked in this um, film. 
there's a good twist at the end. Uh, I actually remember watching this alone in my dark apartment, uh, which was in the upstairs of a house in Muskegon, um, and being terrified after, uh, to the point where I couldn't sleep. Uh, wow. so, I, so I actually popped the movie back in and watched it with the audio commentary just to prove to myself that it was just a movie and these were conscious decisions wow. that filmmakers were making. And then I watched Family Guy and finally fell asleep. Uh, <laughs> don't be me. Don't watch this movie alone. Yeah, I uh, had Sinister on my list of honorable mentions as well. When I went through my list, I actually Sinister is one of my highest rated horror films. It didn't make my top three, but it was an honorable mention. So Sam, we got to get to your number one. You're the last one left. What you got? Um, my last one was the last horror movie I think I've ever seen, uh, the Amityville Horror. Um, like I said, it was just forced to watch it, practically. I remember being at Gary Silver's house, and he was like... <laughs> shout out to Gary Silver's. <laughs> yeah. and Sam's just giving all sorts of shout outs. <laughs> all the people have forced him to watch film, <laughs> yeah. horror films, basically. It <laughs> is. It's, it's a true statement. Like, I mean, I just, it's just something I don't, I don't get a kick out of, but, you know... I watched the Amityville Horror. I just remember the one scene that sticks out most to me is when uh, the little boy's in the bathroom and he flicks the lights flicker and that dude's standing right behind him. It's just that, that quick jump, you know, and it's just the only scene that really stuck out to me. Um, like, Champ, you mentioned the Indian, um, Hagen, the Indian, like, kind of torture chamber down underneath. Um, the mass murder that happened that caused it all to have all these de demonic forces. And I and demons kind of get to me a little bit like the exorcist kind of stuff like that, you know, where people become possessed. It's another know? reboot, yeah. kind of a run-of-the-mill reboot to me. But that's what, that's it, guys. That's our, our favorite horror films uh, from 1990 on. Let's, let's run them down real quick uh, one more time. Sam, you're three to one. My three to one would have been The Ring, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Amityville Horror. Uh, my number three was Saw, my number two was The Witch, and Sinister from 2012 was my number one horror film since 1990. And mine was number three, The Strangers, number two, The Ring, and number one, Saw. And uh, there you have it. There are our favorite horror films from 1990 on. All right, guys, now it's time for our next segment, Popcorn Problems. I think this was... Uh... <laughs> was my wife's favorite segment of ours of the pods she's listened to. A lot of people like this because it's something that, you know, we're not really even talking about everyone. movies. It's something that correlates to your trip, yeah. your visit to the theater. And today we're talking about your favorite thing to eat while at the theater. Look, guys, I mean, back in the day it was popcorn and a pop and maybe some gummy, gummy worms or um, some milk duds. Sour Patch Kids watermelon. Okay, yeah. But, but the point is, guys, is that theaters have changed a lot. Uh, Celebration is our go-to theater, and they've changed a lot. They mm -hmm. are now offering all sorts of different types of food items. Um, and, and beer and liquor. And beer and liquor, which we'll talk about that in, in just a bit. But I kind of wanted to talk about this with you guys and find out, you know, what is your favorite thing uh, to to eat and, and and I mean look champ you pulled up the menu right now for celebration they've got everything no popcorn and just pop anymore I mean just some of the 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 samplings that they've got at Celebration Cinema uh, you know um, things such as uh, Bavarian hotcakes quesadillas loaded mac and cheese um, Angus beef sliders poblano pork sliders um, hummus and pesto non witch 
Like, th- this is not your traditional no. uh, trip to the movie theater, but, um, you know. Uh, Sounds like we're at half-off apps at Applebee's. No kidding here. I mean, it, let's, uh, this is not, uh, oh, look, chicken Caesar salad, spring salad mix. Oh. Uh, who wants uh, a uh, chicken funnel, Caesar salad? Who wants funnel cake fries with your movie? Um, so, like, obviously the, uh, the options are a lot <laughs> bigger here now. Um, myself, I tend to still be a traditionalist when it comes to the food, mostly. Um, you know, I'll, I'll stick to popcorn for the most part. Um, that being said, I really do enjoy uh, a good nacho at the theater, mm-hmm. but not the ultimate nachos, just like chips and cheese that you can dip uh, throughout the movie. So that would probably be my go-to if I was going to pick one. What about you? Uh, we should probably consult the popcorn That's correspondent true. about uh, food at the theater. Well, I just wanted to, you know, let everyone know where that I have been slacking on my popcorn reviews, um, <laughs> seeing how I have not updated you all with my favorite popcorn in my area um other than celebration cinema i still don't know if they use regular popcorn and kettle corn combined i'm still on that so i will let you know that mystery but wait to hear back you didn't have popcorn when we went to the film yesterday i did actually take a peek at the menu and it did catch my eye i actually ate boneless wings teriyaki (laughs) flavored now now i just have to you know let you know my reasoning behind that um, I worked till eight. The film was at eight fifty. I didn't have time to stop at home get something to eat, and I was kind of hungry. And I thought, in a quiet place, a movie like that, if my belly was rumbling, that people might become unsettled next to me. So I had to make sure I got something. Um, but I'll be honest with you, boneless wings was not actually too difficult to eat in the movie, other than when it was dark. And I think I might have got something on my shirt. Well, I was going to say, the main issue with, with ordering these elaborate food dishes, and the reason that I mentioned that I get just the chips and cheese, as opposed to like an ultimate nacho with all the toppings on it, is most of the time movie theaters are dark. Yeah. So when you have something like a pulled pork sandwich or a burger or loaded nachos, um, and you're trying to watch a movie in the dark, it's kind of hard to eat these sort of elaborate meals without getting it all over your body and your clothes and your fingers and everything. That's fair. I just think it's funny just how much things have changed, you know. You've got people who sell tickets at Celebration who now apparently are part-time waitresses. Uh, Before the film yesterday, one strolls in with Sam's wings, delivers it to him in his seat. It's cool. They make it all accessible for you. I have something that I want to say about that, too, and I was going to bring it up, was that I think they have to have a cutoff on that, though, because it was very close to when the film started, that they walked in like it was literally as the fireworks of Celebration Cinema was going on. The I lights think were it's just intentional, though, isn't it? Well, he said ten minutes when I ordered, and okay. we were really close to movie time. Okay. Don't get me wrong, but I just think at a, at some point, I don't know if you were to. What happens if I went out halfway through the movie and go, "Dang, I didn't see you guys had boneless wings. Can I get some of those?" And then he shows up, scooching between, and I'm sitting in seat seven or eight. Sam does not appreciate Joe Schmo in row three getting his wings in the middle of the movie that he did not want to go see. (laughs) Well, well, I will say too, champ, uh, and it wasn't like yesterday, but two weeks ago, you had another item from the menu. What did you try? Yeah, I had the uh, Angus hot dog with some relish, some onions, they had a little pretzel bun with chips on the side, and I gotta say, for six dollars... It was a pretty solid deal, and honestly, I say I like nachos. Uh, we no longer have our uh, popcorn buckets. You heard us read the eulogy, re- yeah. eulogy to those a couple weeks ago. If you want to hear that ridiculousness, just go back a couple pods. Um, but yeah, the hot dog, the pretzel dog with the chips, it might be my new go-to here because it was really tasty. And you know, they do, do a keep, good job. Yeah, I mean, I think most of the food that I've tried here, you know, I'm trying to keep yeah. an open mind with with this sort of 
new age Change theater of. protocol of food because um, you know at least at the theaters we go they go to they have some good options. Yeah, they do. Uh, Sam, did you like the wings? The wings actually were they didn't have as much flavor as I wanted, but if I don't know if I like the teriyaki, I would have to try the barbecue okay. or switch over to the buffalo. But. I, would, I was gonna say the one thing about the wings, you sat them down in the seat next to uh, we had an open seat in between us last night, and every once in a while I would get like a whiff of teriyaki, <laughs> and I was just kind of like. Yuck. Like it, it, it was not that it smelled bad, but it was just like not what you expect in a movie theater. Yeah, them delivering food and having all these other food items, it doesn't work as well in a packed theater. If you have a little space, maybe it works well, a little bit better. But I had, uh, when I was getting my ticket last night, funny we say this, I had an old lady come up and say, ask the guy next to me, do you guys serve booze here? I mean, she had to be in her mid-60s, and she's asking. I'm like, I turn around and go, turn it up on a Tuesday, like... Go get it, Graham Graham. Well, honestly, it was probably just because she was so surprised that right. alcohol was even an option. Because that's kind of a new thing, too. That is new. Before we get to that, I just want to say I'm a hardcore traditionalist. I like my popcorn, as we all know, loaded with butter, a pop, and some sour gummy worms. That's my thing. But you're right, guys, about alcohol. In fact, at Celebration Cinema North, which is our most go-to frequent celebration, there is literally a bar in the middle of the lobby. Now, I know that Lobby shares space with some other places, a Jimmy John's, a place mm -hmm. where people can get their hair cut. But there's a bar right there. What do you guys think about alcohol at the movies? Is this something you've tried, you like, you don't like? It's, it's pretty, I mean, I feel like it's pretty recent, right? This hasn't been around forever. For, for me personally, it's not something that I would really be into. I mean, uh, you know, maybe one beer if you're getting dinner before or something, and then you go to the movie theater. But to actually drink while watching the movie doesn't really seem like something that would go well together, at least in my opinion, because at least when I drink uh, and have a few drinks, I like to move around, I like to talk, I like to converse with people. None of those things are things you're going to be doing in a movie theater. And also, it makes you pee. Yeah. So uh, That's I don't my think, issue. I don't think running to the theater three times in a movie is really conducive to a good cinematic experience. Well, I mean, I'd probably, you know, the lights go down, I'm drinking, and I don't hear any, you know, Jason Derulo in the background. I'm probably going to snooze, I'll be honest with you. So, like, that's, you know, it just, it, it dumbs me down, but... Here's what, I'll, here's what I'll say about beer, guys. Beer at the theater or mixed drinks or alcohol at the theater, no. I'm not a I, fan of drinking agree. and watching films. I, I'm also not a fan of, you know, because, you know, we're 20-something we're guys. And when we have a couple drinks, we like to have a couple drinks. And, I, you know, when you're drinking and watching a film, sometimes you might, you might lose a little bit of your sharpness, lose a little bit of how well you pay attention. But I will say this. If I'm watching certain films... At home with friends, beer fest. Drinking is almost a requirement. There's a few, and you said it, champ. And you guys both said it. You don't like to. You like to talk. Do that. If you've got like beer fest on in your living room with some bros, and you guys want to drink beers, fine. But I think generally, I'm not a big alcohol at the movies fan. Shout out to uh, a person that some of us at the table know here. Um, that person will remain unnamed, but once snuck an entire 12-pack into the theater uh, and drank it throughout the course of the movie. I don't know if that's impressive or pathetic, but have to just mention that. Uh, one other thing about favorite, favorite, when we're talking about favorite foods, my dad is a fan of getting milk duds and popcorn and eating them both at okay. the same time. Ooh, and when salty I, and sweet. Well, yeah, when I was little, I was like, ew, dad, that's gross. But now that I think about it, it's basically caramel corn. 
Yeah. So I'm going to have to talk to your dad. Yeah, you probably should. He's a smart guy. <laughs> Sam, one last question before we wrap up popcorn problems here. Me and Evan, uh, Evan's married, I'm engaged, but you, you, Sam, you know, you still have, uh, you have a girlfriend now, um, but you know, you go out on a date or something. Would you, Evan, I guess you could answer this too. Would you ever consider uh, literally taking a girl to a movie and ordering some of that food and sitting at the bar like before going to the movie? Would that be something that you would consider doing as like a dinner and a movie date? Do you want to go first? I'm a little bit more of a traditionalist. I think that for my wife at least, um, when we were dating and now that we're married, if I say hey, honey, let's do dinner and a movie. And she's like, oh, where are we going for dinner? And I'm like, Celebration Cinema. I think she's probably saying, uh, no, I'm going to pass on that. So not probably something I would do, but I've never tried their food, and both of you guys said the food's good. So I really can't judge on Celebration's food-making ability. Yeah, it's, for me, uh, uh, that's tough. I mean, I don't think... I would do like dinner in a movie, but if it was like a... It's not even dinner in a movie. It's like dinner at the movie. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because I've seen so many people do this. And, you know, you see them on date nights and they're sitting up at the bar and they're drinking their nice fancy martinis and having... But you, like like you said, you read the menu earlier. I'm looking... I'd go to B-dubs before. And well, like, you well know, yeah, I was especially in our case here, we've got a lot of good options for yeah. eating, especially around the theaters here yeah, uh, in but, the West Michigan area. But hey, guys, maybe we should test this out sometime. Maybe we should just go in and uh, order up some night. food and uh, have a drink at the bar and test out what it's like. Maybe, we, it will, uh, maybe it'll be fun. We reviewed Game Night a few episodes yeah. back. I think that would be a good film for, like, let's do a yeah. meal in the theater. So Today's next, film, uh, no. So next comedy? Perhaps we can try it out and then let everybody know. We'll check back in with you guys. But uh, in the meantime, tell us uh, what your favorite food is at the theater. Uh, Like I said, we mentioned all those social channels earlier. Uh, We would love to to hear from you. And uh, how do you feel about sort of the new wide buffet of offerings at theaters? How do you feel about drinking at theaters? Um, these are all things and questions that we deal with in 2018, and we want to hear from you. Yeah, and Champ's dad had a really unique kind of creation. Do you have a unique movie creation? We want to try it out and let you know what we think, so please tell us. All right, and now we're going to move on to our featured review. This week, we're talking about A Quiet Place. This is a horror film directed by none other than John Krasinski, who, of course, is famous uh, for the role of Jim Helpert on The Office, but also has had a variety of film roles um, and actually directorial credits. Um, The plot of this movie, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from creatures that hunt by sound. This movie stars uh, John Krasinski and his real-life wife, Emily Blunt, who plays his wife in the film, and also some talented... uh, Kid actors, Millicent Simmons, Noah Jupe, and Cade Woodward. Um, interesting film here. It's getting some buzz. Uh, I wouldn't say some, I would say some not-so-quiet buzz, actually, um, as a good uh, horror film. But, Evan, I'm going to toss it to you here. What were sort of some of your initial non-spoiler uh, thoughts on the film? 
Yeah. Um, look, if you were to watch the trailer here, you might think this is just a standard horror film about a family living in silence, trying to avoid these creepy monsters who only can hear. They're blind. They can't see. They can only hear in this post-apocalyptic world. But this movie, this movie has heart. And it uses silence brilliantly, in my opinion, to capture emotion and relationships. I think while watching a film like this with such little verbal dialogue, the audience, in a way, ourselves, we're forced to be more engaged, pay closer attention to facial expressions and body language. And that also requires skilled acting and nuance in the acting. And I thought that those on screen in this film really stepped up. They came to the plate in this regard. I thought this was superbly acted. We learned so much about the family dynamics here with such few conversations. That, in my mind, is a testament to close-up shots and careful acting. Uh, to build characters that we care about, to take the time to do that before the creature or the masked killer or whoever attacks in a horror film, that's a major achievement in my mind. And character development was a strength here, especially given the limitations of little verbal dialogue. Right. And then once we get to conflict between the family and the monsters, I thought it was gripping, compelling, not the scariest film, but very creative, especially in sort of the setup the family has to defend themselves. I'll get to that later, but I really like this film. Yeah, I mean, the, the use of sound and music to create suspense has long been a trope of the horror genre and something that's necessary for its success. Um, but in this movie, there really is very little dialogue or action to sort of carry the story. Um, so we really need the acting. And obviously Krasinski and Emily Blunt to, um, you know, establish actors in TV and, and film. Um, and their their chemistry is obvious. They are uh, obviously live together and actually raise a real family together. So, mm -hmm. But what I was really impressed with was, was the kids. In this. Yeah. Uh, Millicent yeah. Simmons, Noah Jupe. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, but I, I haven't really seen them in much. I've, I've seen they have some other credits, but they do a great job acting with their eyes and their emotions yeah. and sort of physically. Uh, Simmons, the, the girl uh, in particular, I thought was amazing. She was sort of uh, playing this sort of preteen girl, um, and uh, it would be perfectly natural for her to fight with her parents. That's what happens with preteen girls, but she's having these sort of... Uh, gripes and fights with her father in particular in extraordinary circumstances but the way that she does it on screen is is great um so i, I would say yeah the, the development i agree with some of that other stuff as well uh evan and uh, some of the stuff i'm gonna have to get to in spoilers but sam what yeah. were sort of your sort of overall impressions of the movie i mean it wasn't like i i agree with you guys here on the whole point of like the acting was great the story was unique using the the sound um, like, and I've always said at the beginning of every single time we go into a review and I, you know, I contest this to you guys every time I base all my movie rankings off of my engagement and how, you know, involved I was into the movie. Like what it, did it draw me in? Um, this one just didn't do that. Maybe if I watched it a second time, it, I would pick up on some things, but, um, it just, it, it. I guess I didn't go into it thinking that it was going to be all that great. I heard some negative reviews about it from, you know, peers that just didn't like it. Maybe it was just their their opinions on it. Um, I do think that it was just your generic weird monster um, that just, you know, they had to think of a way to make a different way to make it scary or, you know, less more different than what it was yeah. in, in standard times. I just didn't, I, I don't know. I, I'm 
I think I'll be able to explain more in the spoilers. Yeah, I mean, I will we, now. We, we've been talking about this for a while. Sam, uh, not a horror genre fan, and he um, is clearly not as high in this movie. Mm-hmm. We'll get into more of kind of why uh, that was. I just don't want to ruin anything at the, at the beginning yeah. of, by slip of time. No, I mean, or something. well, I think it, it is sort of a film where you really have to. There's not a whole lot going on. There's not even mm-hmm. talking, so you really sort of have to appreciate what the film, I guess, is trying to do. And similarly right. to Unsane, which we reviewed a couple weeks ago, um, I just admire sort of the balls it takes to sort of make an unorthodox movie like this. You know, I think it's really an ambitious idea to be using all the sign language and sort of just music and no talking. And I think it worked really, really well. It's just, it's really artful in the way it uses like the fear of silence uh, and quietness and sort of eerily quiet to terrify us. I also like how we're just thrust into the situation. Um, the music does a good job sort of indicating what a shitstorm this family is in, but how the dynamic is so important amongst them. Um, we mentioned the lack of dialogue. I think it maybe is sort of like a throwback to sort of the days of silent film and how they did things. Um, I was getting a, a vibe of a movie that was le- released last year uh, called It Comes at Night. Um, in that movie, it's sort of like a there's a terrifying unseen natural threat and there's a family that is going about things in a unique way trying to survive. So I was getting some some sort of vibes from that movie last year, which I also liked a lot. Um, I just think this is a really stylistic, the atmosphere is good. I'll get into more specifics and spoilers, but I, I just, I really uh, was engaged. You say you weren't engaged, Sam. I was into it the whole time. Mm-hmm. I was uh, thought it was creepy the whole time throughout. It was a brisk hour and a half movie, so I, I was into it. Don't get me wrong. I did cover my eyes, I think, two mm-hmm. or three times. Yeah, I mean, look, Champ, you and I have just touched on most of the same points. We saw the same things in it that we liked, and I actually think that... The first half, in my opinion, maybe the first two-thirds was its strongest point. Uh, Really, before you dive into the confrontation between the creatures and the family, I think that some of the things that we both discussed, the family dynamic, the relationships between those involved, between father and daughter, and how we were able to learn um, so much about them. Isn't it kind of ironic that you learn so much about characters, you learn so much about um, relationships between characters, and there are such few conversations. That's a testament to the acting, yeah. and it's a testament to the nuance. I mean, it, and the screenplay. Absolutely. I mean, there, there, we, we say like if you actually look at uh, the actual amount of the script, there's probably not that much actually. Um, like on the paper, the screenplay by uh, Brian Wood, Scott Beck, and Krasinski. Um, if you actually look at it, it's probably not that much, but there's a screenplay throughout because they're talking in sign language. It'd be interesting, and I thought about this when I was driving today in preparation for the pod, how many words were spoken, and where does that stack up against films released in the past 10 or 20 years? It's it's probably right up there. Especially when half the words are probably like, scream! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, you guys, anything else in non-spoilers? <laughs> I think we to really dive into this, we yeah. should dive into spoilers. Okay, so this is the spoiler section. We're moving into it. We'll give you a couple seconds here. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, jump out. Uh, I'll put the timestamps on our website so you can kind of see when the spoiler, non-spoiler starts. Uh, the idea here, just uh, just to run it over real quick, is that uh, if you haven't seen the movie, jump out and then come back and revisit it, this portion of the podcast and then let us know uh, what you feedback. think. Um, but so, Evan, I'll throw it to you. Uh, get out if you haven't seen the movie. Complete spoilers for A Quiet Place from uh, this point on. Yeah, we obviously, in the pre-spoilers, share a lot of the same opinions about this, and you even touched on this. Since the beginning of time, guys, uh, film 
has been silent. The first film was a silent film. And a lot of films have used silence to build tension, especially horror films. Uh, I think of a couple within the past 10 years, Dead Silence and Don't Breathe. Uh, those were two that were overtly deliberate in using silence to create tension and scares. This film, in my opinion, uses silence to create a whole different world. How the people who are still alive in this po post-apocalyptic world, how they have to live, is such a stark contrast from how we live. And I think the filmmakers paid great attention to detail in an effort to convey that. Here's just a few examples from the film. Uh, the, the family has to pour sand every place that they want to go so that they can walk without having to make noise, so there's no grass crunching. They have self-made knit Monopoly pieces when they're playing games so that you can't like that. hear uh, anything when they're playing the game. There's an entirely silent prayer, which I thought was a powerful family moment. You have the heartbeat of a baby, uh, the unborn baby for the pregnant mother in the film, and also the color of the lights on the property. They help determine when the family's safe from the creatures versus maybe when there's a problem. I thought all of these things helped add to the heart of the film. That and also the fact that the characters here, they're dealing with a family tragedy and the loss of a child. What do you think about that, Jim? Well, I agree the world building is a huge strength of this movie. Um, just to add a couple more examples... In their old house, they have marks on the floor to indicate the boards that don't creak. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought that was a really cool, subtle thing. They don't wear shoes, so they just have bare feet the whole time. Um, what I really actually liked was the first scene of the movie, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this. They're in a grocery store, which I think maybe is like a Krasinski's a subtle homage to Stephen King's The Mist which obviously takes place in, an, in a grocery store almost the whole movie. And one little detail was one of the first shots. If you noticed, the grocery store was completely ransacked and taken by uh, survivors, except the chips. There was chips all over mm. the shelves because yeah. those are too loud and the creatures would hear them. And just little touches like that were awesome and really helped thrust you into the world and the ordeal because we don't have much story build up you know uh sam i think you mentioned that was one of your criticisms was we didn't learn anything about the monsters we don't know how they got there it's all done in details right well yeah i understand that too but i also think that the family had an advantage on to survive because their daughter was deaf she was deaf and she couldn't hear so they were speaking in sign language for how long until this apocalypse happened we don't know when it happened so how long did they have it to we, we do they, we they, there's they explicitly Day, I think you might have been eating chicken wings when this happened. I was Because it says wings. day 89 at the very start of the movie. Then it says day 489. And the, throughout the movie, it right. says what day it is. So then the daughter would have been about 13. She, yeah. So she would have been 12 years old. And the whole time, they had 12 years to speak sign language. And get they would teach their son sign language to communicate with their sister. Also, another thing I didn't like is the kid was taking pills at the beginning of the movie. For what reason? I don't know what was wrong with him, and they carried him, and then all of a sudden the days started going by. Yeah, but we've said many times on this podcast that sometimes less is more. Do we really need to know the answer to all those questions? Does that really make the movie better? I, well, I, I, I had know. some thoughts on that uh, a little bit later, but I guess I'll just jump on them now. Um, yeah, yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of things that we don't know here. Uh, we, don't, we don't know what happened really before. They don't provide a ton of 
context. It's the generic post-apocalyptic world where aliens came down and most people didn't survive. But I really think that for the sake of this film, which is so heavily focused on just this one family, we hardly meet anybody else. There's one other character other than this family of five. And his only I, line is, scream. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, he's more like a I, bellow. I, <laughs> well, I, personally, I would have liked to know what happened before and then what happened after, and I'll get to that later. I think it would have harmed this film and not helped it. Um, so if you guys don't mind, I'd like to get a couple more things I liked about it before I jump to my critiques. Um, I also liked a couple ideas that this film presented. What, what would you miss without being able to talk or hear or have noise? Music. You, there's a really powerful scene between husband and wife. I did like that scene to a too. Song and you Sharing could, the... You could just tell that they do not have the moment to listen to music. And we listen to music every day conversation they just cherish that uh, the father and son typically or particularly go to a waterfall just to talk and then just scream at the top of their lungs because they can't make noise most of the time and i also thought what was interesting is you realize how hard it is to be quiet and also how this film i think did a really good job of helping us appreciate the little noises that happen in the world and we shut up and stop talking Footsteps in the sand, the running of the water, leaves rustling in the wind, a newspaper blowing. I thought it was really cool, and mm -hmm. I, I love those little subtleties and little, uh, you said it, champ, and I said it, attention to detail and the things that you appreciate when everybody stops talking. I, I also love that scene. It was oh, them dancing with the earbuds. It was such a sweet moment in an otherwise uh, brutal movie. Um, I, I lo also love the idea of uh, when they would go up on the top of the silo and they would light a fire and then other fires would appear as sort of just like a little homage to like, hey, you're not alone. Don't give up. There's other people still yeah. out here surviving. Keep doing what you're doing. We can beat this. Like that's a really powerful sort of um, message for someone who would be surviving in a world like this. At least uh, I don't know. it would seem that it would be. Yeah. Um, the family dynamics here if, if, uh, is another thing that I think is – is pretty interesting that I mean this movie obviously we have one character who's not in the family and then who has one line the old man we mentioned and then everyone else is in the family uh, this movie is called a quiet place um, but I think you could sub the word quiet for safe uh, like it could be called a safe place um, because I think the whole flick is sort of the parents that are doing anything they can to find a quiet or safe place for their kids um, you know, the idea of family and parenthood and the responsibility that parents have to their children is expressed both in thematically and also explicitly in the dialogue. Uh, Emily Blunt says at one point, you know, if we can't protect them, then who are we? Yeah. And obviously at the beginning of this movie, they lose a child, um, you know, and, and so the idea that these parents, their sole responsibility in this world is to protect the kids and to, to keep the family alive is really interesting. Um, and obviously that culminates in Krasinski sacrificing himself at the end of the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But, so I, I really liked it. I've got a few critiques plot related. But Sam, I know you weren't a huge fan of it. You said it didn't engage you, didn't pull no. you in. What, what was it? What were the plot devices or the specifics? I mean, just the, like you guys always say, less is more. I think in certain sequences, yes, that is true. I would agree with that. Um, I just... I kind of wanted to know why, what, where the aliens came from, or like a little bit more. He knew that they were blind. He knew he, and he couldn't find a weakness. I mean, how would you find a weakness when, you know, you couldn't communicate with people to to ask that question? Um, I just kind of wish we would have learned more about what what they were. Um, I guess that's like kind of it. Just reminded me of like the generic alien that comes out and just 
in fights. I did, but I did want to point out that I do like the point of high frequency that drives them mad. Like we, the, we find out that that's their weakness. Yes, and I did like how like that was like the main thing about her going in the basement. I thought that was a really cool, powerful scene about when she looked at the the whiteboard because the dad was figuring out a way to. You know, give her a chance to 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 heal. Well, yeah, that I'm saying that part too. But he was finding a way to defeat these so-called monsters. But but you didn't think the monsters were creepy either. Not necessarily. No, like it just didn't. I can't. I can't put a name on what it was, but they just reminded me of another movie, like the same face of how it opens up. I like the ear opening up. Like that yeah, was different. I mean the monster didn't really matter to me. I didn't it think wasn't that, that was the scary. point of the film. I it was think, jumpy I movie. I did think though. there was a little bit of a nod to signs in that in signs in one of the the kids doesn't drink water and water ends up becoming the the kryptonite for the alien. In this case the girl's weakness and that she can't hear ends up becoming what can kill the aliens. But no, I mean look, I yeah. think that for me this family, this uh, this film rather, was about a family and about their interworkings and their relationship and their dynamics, and it did so well to help us learn about that without conversation. And so for me, I was able to forgive the fact that yeah, I would have liked to know what happened before and after, but I um, think in a way it might have hurt the movie. Well, plus I think there's some legitimately terrifying and original scenes of horror that might stick out here for a little bit. I mean, like. The fact of a woman who's going into labor and she's alone and she's being stalked by these creatures and she just stepped on a nail and she can't yell and blood is coursing from her body. That is an original and terrifying idea. The scene in the silo when the kids fall through (laughs) and they're sinking into the corn, that is terrifying. And that's really like real sort of situation that could happen. Yeah, I think... uh... My, f- I have very few critiques. My critiques actually correlated a little bit to some of what you're talking about, just because I did feel towards the end of the film it was kind of like Murphy's Law. What can go wrong will. So I just want to run this down. You know, the girl, she runs away. Mom goes into labor, can't talk while this creature's around. Then mom has a baby, which is loud and doesn't know how to shut up while the creature's around. Then the house floods. Then the kids fall into the grain mill. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And my one question was this. And this, I loved it, but this is my question. They survive for hundreds of days, guys, 400 and something, almost 500. And then suddenly shit kind of hits the fan. And it did make me wonder a little bit how they survived as long as they did. And it did make me wonder too, why didn't they create a more soundproof room? It didn't seem like they had much in the way of creating that. So my critiques were mostly plot related. I also thought the ending was a little cliche. Uh, the dad dies, that was a great scene, moment, and that was mm-hmm. a powerful scene. A little cliche, but it's still a powerful scene. But the click of the shotgun at the end of the movie, I thought it was a little cliche. But th- that's just me nitpicking, and they were just mostly subtle plot critiques. Yeah, well, your point about shit hitting the fan is valid, but then again, we got to have a movie here. So I there know, has to be right. a point when something actually happens and the plot moves forward. Um, I actually thought that Krasinski's death was a little bit heavy-handed and came a little too quick. Like, I get that he was sacrificing himself and he was doing the sign language. It was right before the end of the film. No, I know, but I don't mean that it happened, like, in a, like, too quick in the film. I mean it just, like, happened too quick. Oh, I see. Like, I just feel like he deserved a better going out than just, like, oh, you're splattered. Well, then, you know? And that's the only time she clicks it off. Like, I do understand that it was bothering her, the frequencies as well. But at other times, she kind of put up with it. And then the one time where they needed it most, 
She yeah, clicks it, it was off. bad luck there's, for the sake of the plot. Also, she didn't know at that point that that was the... No, not at all. There's also the question of why are, you know, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt having a baby at this point? I know that there's the too. real thing that they have, obviously have guilt over. They feel responsible for their youngest she child getting did. killed. Um, and perhaps that's a reason that they want to, like, make up for it by raising and protecting another child. But uh, is is there a worse time to bring a baby into this mess? Weren't there any condoms in that grocery store? <laughs> well, and we talked about this immediately afterwards. I thought, uh, you know, we, we know there's, what, six or seven families in the immediate region based on the fire silos, towers yeah. and the silos. I don't know. They have to reproduce to keep the world going. There's clearly a limited population. So I thought that they were having children out of necessity. But you're right. Like my critiques with plot, you know, subtleties with the plot, that's another one. Did you it's, have any other critiques? No, I'm, I'm ready to go into the, the final uh, final uh, verdict here, if you guys are. We talked about it. It was ambitious. I thought it was an achievement. And I thought that the acting was tremendous. And to have a film with such little verbal dialogue, yet to learn so much about the characters and the people and the relationships, that's hard to do. And... They did it well. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Yeah, um, like I said, it didn't keep me engaged. It wasn't one that I'd probably re-watch. I might just to see what I missed out on. You know, Wings did kind of interfere with my judgment. Um, but I gave it a six out, of, 6 out of 10, but I think that does have a little bias in my genre there, which I will focus on maybe steering clear of next time. I loved it. I thought it was a, tran or a great, uh, I almost said transcendent. I don't know if I want to go that far, but it's a, it, it is a really good horror movie. It has an interesting concept. It tries to do things in an ambitious way with non-verbal dialogue and sort of facial expressions. It's a testament to the screenplay and the actors that they could pull that off. I love, Evan, like you said, the, the sounds of non-verbal that were you know, running through the cornfields or jumping down or hearing water. I loved that. I thought there was some really original, terrifying stuff in this movie. I personally thought the monsters were really creepy with all their clicking noises and whatnot. Um, I was into it the whole time. I definitely uh, have it in my top, definitely 10 horror films of all time. Um, so I was into it. I give it an 8 out of 10 as well. So there you have it. We've got an 8 from me, an 8 from Champ. A six from Sam was a bit of a dissenting opinion, but that's okay. That's why we do the pod. And before we let you go, uh, we want to run down quickly the ways that you can connect with us. Have you seen this movie? Do you plan on seeing it? Um, we want to know, right, Champ? Yeah, I mean, we've already gotten some response from people on the Facebook page talking about wanting to see it or having already seen it and liking it or... Uh, actually, Sam says he has heard people who disliked it. I haven't heard that from anyone yet. Um, but anyways, we want to know either way. Check us out on Facebook, Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, tweet at us, Second Day Film. That's all written out. Email us w or, uh, at uh, secondayfilm at gmail.com. Check out the website, secondayfilm.com. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes at uh, Second Day Film Podcast. And we're also at SoundCloud on Second Day Film Podcast. We want to hear from you guys. So, uh... Let us know. And thanks for hearing from us. We appreciate your listening, and we'll see you at the movie.